Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Susan Workner, co-founder of the Agency Accelerators. Welcome, Susan. Oh, hello, Darren. Thanks for having me. Well, look, it's terrific to actually finally get to sit down. Uh, we've come through the COVID period. We've been, in some ways, collaborating now for is it six months or more? I think so. I think it was since, well, basically since March, I think, isn't it? It's going to be longer, March or April, something like that. Yeah. And I've been looking forward to uh, sitting down <laughs> and having this conversation. You know, it's been difficult because mm-hmm. of uh, uh, distancing, but we are, for those that uh, can't see, uh, we're a good one and a half metres away from Absolutely. each other. Absolutely. Keeping social... our COVID safe. You had the COVID safe sign on the door. That was very nice, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to um, have this conversation is the fact that you have a, quite a you know, rigorous and established uh, career that started very much in the corporate world. And now you're working with agencies to help them understand the corporate world, aren't you? Yes, definitely. I think. Um, well, look, it, it was. It's. It's like anything. What I loved, you know, doing, you know, bachelor of commerce marketing. I loved doing marketing because, of course, I hated accounting. So I love to do marketing, like most marketers. And I think what I love is that you can be on both sides with marketing. You know, so if you start out at the corporate side and learn the rigors of what marketing is and how marketing touch, you know, has so many touch points with running a business and revenue generation for a business, then going to the, which I then did to the advertising side, you know, working for ad agencies in New York, um, I found it was a fantastic shift because I was able to see, as you said, I've got both sides of the fence, you know, jump the barbed wire fence, as they say, from corporate marketing to advertising and doing business development for advertising in New York as well. So it's been quite an eclectic career in some respects, I think. And, you know, doing those big jobs, you know, and especially in a city like New York, which is fabulous, but, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, because the bigger the market and the bigger the organisation, the more siloed they become. You end up being in quite narrow areas, even though you're working in quite big organisations. That's true, isn't it? Yes. Are you talking from the corporate side, you mean, or from the agency? Corporate and agency. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think... Look, I think the corporate side, definitely. I mean, corporates have always been quite siloed. And I think, you know, they have the marketing, finance, you have your operations, you have your production arm. None of them talk to each other. You know, in many, you know, I worked actually for Hutamaki, which is a huge um, Finnish company doing um, paper. I know it doesn't sound so exciting, but it was was at the time. Um, high volume Lily brand of paper plates and cups, for example. Yeah. And we did a huge, and I looked after um, new product development. So always, again, being sort of the marketing creative side, I love new product development because it gives you an opportunity to really see what does what do consumers want, um, how can you spin something new into a large organisation. And I think working across that large organisation like Kutamaki, I realised you had so many silo divisions you had to work across as a marketing director. Or my, I was actually product manager at the time. And I think you're right. So that silos can be quite difficult as a marketing person to understand how does all of the silos of an organisation work together like a jigsaw puzzle to then deliver a product to the consumer that they're going to want to buy. So that was a big learning, I think, in a large corporate. 
I remember uh, organising for a client who was a large corporate mm. a meeting of their marketing team, which had over 400 people, and their various agencies that they worked with. And we had name tags for everyone. And I found the marketers were actually introducing themselves to each other because they didn't know that their own colleagues were actually working with the organisation. They thought they were the agency. It was so funny. And the agencies <laughs> are standing over there sort of going, why aren't they talking to us? So I had to say, the agencies are over there. That's right. Talk to them. They're the ones you need to be speaking to. Oh, look, it's well, it's, it's that's so funny. I mean, I know... Um, the same thing happens, you know, when we had working as the product manager, you would have agencies, I would have agencies calling me all the time to to uh, work with me. And, you know, you learn very quickly. They they call you up and one of the mistakes I think a lot of agencies make, that's something I learned when I was uh, in the corporate side, they don't, they're all about themselves. You know, they talk about this is what we do, but they hadn't really researched what I as a product manager would want from them. So I think that's something that's really important. So so often if we had pictures, that's the same thing. You, you want to look out for, well, who's going to actually give you what you need? Who's researched you? How do they know what you really need? And what do, and what do the consumers want from your product? So I think that's a part that agencies often, uh, you know, forget about. And I just want to go back to um, that point around agencies can often be very solid. Mm-hmm. I think... I probably threw you a little bit because what I meant was the holding companies. Oh, you know, right. where you've got uh, the, the, the sort of creative agency and then they'll have their direct marketing offshoot and, and their mm. media. And and so while you think that they're somehow all part of one organisation, mm. they aren't. They're very separate. And even within that, you know, I remember I think it was Ogilvy, you know, they had over 600 or 700 people in the New York mm. office. And there were people in there that only worked on certain accounts and they didn't know each other either. Mm. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think uh, and I, I think that's where, you know, a lot of bigger agencies, especially as the media landscape changed, the advertising landscape changed, you know, it became very difficult for them to service a client because there were so many different areas that didn't speak to each other. I mean, I worked for Foot Cone and Building. So FCB was huge, mm. you know, huge organisation. I looked after the, the Garuda Airlines account. I actually lived in Jakarta. For a year looking after the Garuda right. Airlines account. And I remember we had a creative agency in um, Jakarta and I managed a creative agency actually in Sydney as well. So the two creative agencies that I had to deal with, they didn't even know each other. I was like the liaison point between two creative agencies. No, really, between the creatives both in Jakarta and in um, and Sydney. So And then on the other hand, I had to deal again with the client um, and sometimes, as you said, deal with other areas of foot cone and building, FCB, and not everyone knew each other. There were, I don't know how many. There must have been hundreds of people. I don't know foot, how large it was, but it was enormous. So I think I think the larger, those larger sort of holding companies, you're right, they have divisions all across the world. How do they even know each other? Mm. You know, they don't. You know, it's very hard. I did hear that in the UK one of the big agencies has started a huge intranet trying to introduce their staff to each other across the globe. You probably know more about that. Yeah, well, uh, publicists have uh, invested in that and also um, before that uh, PhD on the media side. And it was more than just introducing it. They were trying to build an intranet that would allow you know, the staff yes. to actually contribute to projects. Mm-hmm. So you could do th- literally That's things it. like if you're sitting in Shanghai mm. and uh, you've got a particular problem with a particular you know, client or category, mm. you could put onto that 
uh, a message. Anyone worked on this type of business and start getting chatting happening mm. around the globe, which I thought was a really interesting idea. It didn't work for them in pitches because it got to the point, and, and you touched on it a minute ago, they were so focused on explaining mm. the methodology yes. that they forgot to explain the benefit mm. to the advertiser. You know, and so there was this whole section in every pitch, and it only happened once or twice because I said stop doing this. Mm-hmm. That they'd be going, oh well, you know, it's an intranet and it allows sharing, and and you know that means that people. And I'm going, okay, we've all got that. Yep. What's it mean for this client? Yes, exactly. I think I think that well, that's it. Too many to, look agencies like all of us. You know, you focus on yourself. And you realise you can't, especially if you're a bigger agency with so many staff, you can't afford to just focus on yourselves. Um, you've got to focus, as you said, on what is what is the client wanting in this pitch and who are the best people to, to organise it. But actually, just interestingly, how so that the internet platform, let's say for publicists, how is that working? I mean, has it really made a difference to how they actually operate with clients? Because at the end of the day, you're, you know, any business, whether you're an agency or, or a corporate, you're only as good as, as how many clients you keep and how much money you make from your clients. Has that in any way streamlined their operations for clients? So, so the platform, when it was launched, was called Marcel. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to two clients that are working with publicists mm-hmm. and they both say that it helps, the, the whole experience is closer to seamless. Oh, okay. In that... Groups do work well together. Okay, that it's that's good. So it opened, has worked yeah, then. So Great. it's opened up mm. channels, except that the agencies rarely talk about the fact that it makes it seamless for clients. You know, they talk about the technology. Yep. It's a bit like the old copywriting thing of, you know, don't talk about the features, yep. talk about the benefits, and mm. yet they rarely seem to make that leap. Mm. So even the, do you think mm. that is that point that they're so focused on themselves? But I don't think it's themselves. I think they're just... They think this is clever. Mm. We'll look clever if we talk about it. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, that doesn't apply, does it? If you just talk about how clever you are, how clever are you? Well, interesting point. I think um, I think it's like they always say, I think it's better to show people rather than tell people. I think yeah. that's the important thing. So I think showing people what are the, like as you said, if publishers, if their clients are saying this is useful, great. Well, often these, even these large corporates, they don't have a very streamlined, um, I guess, business development communication program, you know. So, so they're not really telling clients these are the benefits that this platform has provided because it's not always, it's not about the platform. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's really about the people. You know, what are the people doing with that platform and how is that making business faster, more efficient, better for the client? But if you're not telling the clients, then how are they going to know? You know, how are your prospects? How is that if you're going to go and pitch, if you're a big publicist and you're going to pitch to a new client, then how are they going to know that your platform makes a difference if you don't talk about it, you know, in the right context for that client? I mean, one thing, that's one thing I, I did read that book not long ago. I just recently I picked it up, um, was um, Saatchi and Saatchi's book called Chutzpah. And it obviously talks about the rise of Saatchi and Saatchi. They were fantastic self-promoters, really fantastic. So I think a lot of agencies forget that you need to be your own best self-promoter to actually win clients and carve out a USP for yourself. I think that's something that's really important. And I think it's just because they're they're too involved in like the cobbler's children never have any shoes. I think agencies suffer from that. Great creative work for clients, 
but then they don't turn the spotlight on themselves or they don't do it strategically. I think that's the key. I think there's also a problem because I was a copywriter creative director and I always say the three hardest jobs in any agency is the agency credentials, Mm -hmm. writing those because everyone has an opinion and no one, yeah, everyone's so busy trying to be everything to Mm -hmm. everyone. The second is the Christmas invitation because mm. everyone has an opinion about that. Yes, that's right. Don't and include the, the office dog or not, you know. Uh, and then the Christmas <laughs> card to go out to yes. all the clients yes, and suppliers and it. things. Uh, because everyone's got an opinion. The trouble is that without an underlying strategy or an understanding of who you are, what you stand for, mm. anything's possible, mm. isn't it? Oh, it is. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that so that's why I'm saying that agencies really should have some sort of program where they say, who who are we? You know, who are we wanting to target? What are the industries we want? Uh, what niches do we want? And what have we done for clients that's different from our competitors? Mm. You know, and I think that's the key for any agencies to then go out and actually start really honing their credentials so it's going to attract the clients they want. So I think that's often, the, often it's opportunistic, I find, with even the biggest agencies will be opportunistic. You know, it's like, oh, the chairman had dinner with or met, you know, had drinks with so-and-so and, and you know, the head of Porsche and now they've got the Porsche account. Well, I don't know if that's happen, happening so much anymore. I'm not sure. No, it's not happening mm. and that's because the bigger the client, the more likely they are to have a procurement rigour mm. around that and just to be able to appoint. I mean... It does still happen occasionally, but when it does, everyone's a bit like, oh, that's shocking. How did that happen? Yes, how did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, and and then there's question marks about, well, why did they do that? That's it. Mm -hmm. So so a lot of what you're talking about there is really just applying in some ways a very basic marketing strategy process to your own business. Mm -hmm. It is. And and most companies don't do it, let alone agencies, but any, any business most businesses, you know, especially when you're in a creative field, I think, because, you know, we are creatives, I guess, you know, and you have so many different strings to your bow. There's always that, um, you know, you're chasing the new client and, and they're very transaction focused, maybe, can I say. So if you suddenly know that, that Porsche or Mercedes has a pitch, you get your whole team working on that pitch for, for you know, weeks or maybe months sometimes, you know, weeks to get that that client. And then after all the flurry ends and you've done such fantastic work and you maybe you win the client, maybe you don't, but they then go on to the next transactional method, you know, transactional item, if that makes mm. sense. They're not looking at it, as you said, in a strategic way to really keep the, um, you know, the engines going between those pitches. Well, it's because they often feel that they ended up with the opportunity <laughs> for not standing for anything. And actually, in many ways, trying to be everything to everyone. And I always find that agencies are fearful that if they somehow have a positioning and have a purpose and a belief and a way of working, that somehow that will reduce the number of opportunities they could possibly get. Mm. Well, I think it's just the opposite, though, don't you think, Darren? You would have seen that you've spoken to hundreds of thousands of agencies over the years. I mean, I think... And seen hundreds of thousands of pictures. And you're right, you know. Standing, the old saying of yes. trying to be something to everyone yes. means you're nothing to anyone yeah. is absolutely true, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so it always amazes me, you know. I know people always say the cobbler's shoes or the busman's <laughs> holidays and things like that, but it's really not an excuse. I mean, when you, so you had, you know, you worked in the corporate world mm-hmm. as a marketer, you yes. went to 
big agencies promoting those, and then you started your own business. Mm-hmm. Were you acutely aware of the need to have a marketing strategy for yourself? Uh, I did. I did. I must admit, I, I went into it. I had um, spent so much time. I always knew I wanted to have my own business, which is, you know, which is something that was in the back of my mind, but I knew I wanted to get some business, you know, some runs on the board with, with businesses beforehand. So, no, I actually made a very conscientious or conscious decision to uh, move into an area that I'd already worked in. I had just finished an MBA and I had one of the um, MBA directors was a McKinsey partner, actually, and he worked a lot in Singapore and Hong Kong across Asia. So he had a company, IRAsia.com, it was called. There was one of the very first, um, I guess, digital platforms for investors to come and look at corporate companies and try and find out which corporate company was better to invest in. So Anyway, so the bottom line being I ended up being um, selected as the country director to open up Australia, the Australian offices. They didn't have Australian offices yet. So I spent two years working on that and that to me opened up an area where I thought there was a great opportunity in this niche to digitise corporate um, marketing, corporate wow. digital marketing. And so I actually ended up finding um, two software developers, developed a, a software that I had actually seen a similar software overseas but I tailored it for the Australian market so I very, um, I guess, consciously targeted the digital sort of corporate communications area with the software that I knew that knew that would be unique to that market. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly when I started, obviously over the years, when the when the company was successful, we had lots of competitors by then. But at least initially, <laughs> initially we yeah. had I I was the first one really in Australia to to launch that software. So I think I had learned, you know, to to answer your question, Darren, I learned that. I'd been on the agency side. I saw how hard it was to be trying to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. I worked on the corporate side and I saw that if you have one product, look, let's face it, I always had, you know, companies like Coca-Cola. They've been making the same thing for how, how long now? Yeah, over same, 100 years. Over 100 years. And they're still doing well, you yeah. know. So so I think I realised that ha- having something that you're not, you're never going to be everything to, to all people. I think that's something that agencies struggle with. You can't be everything to all people. But if you stand for something or you can find, you can actually uh, narrow yourself down into a niche, then suddenly you're, you attract the right clients as well. And I think that's really important for an agency to attract the right clients too because taking on the wrong clients can also be a disaster for an agency. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And whether that's cultural or size yeah. or whatever, it has a huge mm. impact. In fact, well, let, let's get on to the independent agencies. And I, I want to make, you know, in this conversation, be really clear that mm-hmm. when we say independent, we don't just mean small because there are some quite mm. large independent agencies. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are relatively smaller compared to the big network agencies. Absolutely. So, you know, they don't have that footprint. They don't have the resources mm. necessarily. Yeah. Have you noticed, and especially during the COVID pandemic, mm. there is definitely a gr- higher level of interest amongst marketers to talk to independent agencies. Look, I think it's definitely. I mean, we have seen just with, um, to be honest with, just with our clients over the last six months, for the first three, I guess from the lockdown, from March till, say, June, I think you know a lot of lot of the um, corporates were definitely nervous and they and they pulled back on their marketing budgets. Um, and our clients clients felt that you know they did, they had a lot of projects that in the end didn't go ahead, but from June till now, certainly from beginning of June even till now, I think there's been a shift in perspective 
with um, the large marketing, you know, organisations and they're loosening the budgets. They're seeing that, look, we have to live with COVID for now. You know, we, it's not going away soon, but luckily in Australia at least we've contained it. And so, you know, so I think business is now going ahead and I think what's happening is that the smaller independent agencies, because they've been able to be more nimble, I think, than the larger holding companies, large, larger ones, um, they're able to hold on to their staff that they had, you know, and now they're, I think, in a better position to actually go in and start pitching with the corporates whose budgets have, let's face it, they've shrunk. Mm. You know, if they were working with big corporate before, big uh, agency, I should say, before, they may not be able to afford to work with the bigger agencies now. So I think a smaller agency now has a better ability to capture the attention of a corporate. Um, and again, but they have to obviously approach them in the right way, but they can absolutely work with corporate clients, I think. So there's been a shift, I think, in favour of the smaller, as you said, independent agencies, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting because I think there was always a place for mm. independent agents. Oh, absolutely, of course. But it certainly is it, during this period, you know, it become really obvious that I was wondering if part of it, you know, to your point, part of it is uh, that they're more autonomous, they're more nimble, mm-hmm. um, but also I wonder whether it's also this sense of they're, they're often it feels that they're more committed in that the senior management of that organisation is right there in front of you and they make those decisions about the relation that impact the relationship with the client, that there's something about them being a local, in quotes, agency or a local organisation, mm. which is quite different because what we have seen with the big network agencies is the networks have really, during this time, played a strong hand about being US-based mm. or UK-based or, mm-hmm. or French yes. or, or Japanese. You know, I think I've covered all the networks there. <laughs> Do you think that's part of it as well, that there is, you know, in a market like Australia mm. or, you know, South Africa or wherever, mm. that there is that sense of, you know, a bit of nationalism in a way in a positive nationalism, not a negative <laughs> nationalism. Um, I think so. I think you're right. I think, um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, certainly in Australia, I mean, look, let's face it, we're a continent as well as a country, you know, so we're furthest, furthest away from all of Europe and, you know, Asia's obviously more on our doorstep. But I think you're right. I think that um, corporates now want to work with, with the top senior executives at an agency and know they're the ones they're dealing with for their project. It's not going to be pushed aside to a junior team. And often if you're in a bigger corporate, bigger agency, that's what happens. You know, they push it aside to a smaller smaller team, I guess. Um, so I think, I think, yes, I think it would be, it is another reason why, again, I think, you know, those independent agencies should now more than ever be looking to corporates for some of their business. There's no reason why they shouldn't. And I think mindset is very important with that too. I don't know if you have found that with independent agents and not thinking, you know, why would a corporate want to work with me when they've got, as you said, the large holding companies to work with? Well, maybe they don't need, you know, offices in 10 countries to yeah. work with them. Yeah, look, I think I think part of it is that mindset because, you know, there is, and, and it's even impacted us, you know, around mm. um, pitching that, you know, there was uh, one of Australia's largest insurance companies put their business a few, quite a few years ago out to pitch. And the agency that was handling it had about 50 plus staff working full time. And I got a whole lot of small agencies of like five or 10 people going, we want to pitch, we want to pitch. And I'm going, 
No, you're just too small. You know, if you win it, I don't want to hear that, Darren. You know be, that you'll be you'll have to increase you know, five times overnight to yes. just handle this one client. Yeah, and also, is it right for you? I mean, mm. if, if based on the fact that you're going to go from potentially mm. five people to fifty-five people, yep. all around one client. Mm. Is that really the best decision for you? Oh, yes, yes, we can do anything. <laughs> if the money's there, we can, you know. And, and I yeah. love that optimism. It reminds yes. me of that uh, the far side, Gary Larson. Oh, yes, that's right, his yeah. cartoons, yes. Yeah, and there's the slide and the um, mm. spider has woven the web and it goes if I pull at the bottom of the slide and yes. says, if I pull this off, I'll eat like a king. <laughs> and it's just that optimism of, yes, we can do it, which I think is great. But there's also... You know, procurement, for instance, mm. will always look at those risk factors. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, which will work against yes. smaller independent agencies. Well, funny you should say because we've had a, a, quite a number of our clients are actually have been in a position where they're, they're, they're pitching and procurement now, which I've never seen before, I don't know if you, you've seen this, Darren, with some of your um, clients, but the um, they've actually asked for all the full revenue and financials for the last 12 months. Um, now, I haven't seen that in every pitch before from procurement asking for that as part of the pitch. And I'm thinking it's because they're exactly for that reason. They're worried about maybe smaller agencies or it doesn't matter what size the agency is. Is it financially viable? Will they still be around in 12 months' time, in two years' time? So that's something that's come out of this um, and this uncertainty, I think, with COVID. Yeah, and, and um, procurement have always done that mm. as a rigorous uh, risk assessment. Mm. The danger is that, of course, the big networks can put down huge of amounts of money and it just looks like a blip, except yep. that... They really, might have huge debt that they haven't yeah, seen. And I was going to say, but there's really no <laughs> right. proof that that's actual financial viability. That's right. You know, one of the things that we've always resisted that, and, and mm. it's been asked of us when we've tendered for projects, they've said that. And I said, mm. well, there's only two people that know my... Financials. That's yeah. one is my accountant, and the other's the tax office, mm -hmm. and they're not telling anyone. <laughs> um, but some of the smart things that have happened: uh, some procurement teams are now using. There's a couple of online websites mm. where you go and put in your numbers, mm. and it comes up with a score. Okay. And so this is a sort of viability, financial viability, viability score, score. Okay. which I think, uh, if you're going to consider that, but mm. I still don't think you can do it just on the numbers. You have mm. to get a sense of, you know, how long the company's been in business exactly. and, you know, what their client base mm. is like and a whole lot. It's not as simple as just looking at your uh, mm. your financials. Well, especially if you're a private company. I mean, if you did say you're worth, you know, $50 million in your private company, how do they know? How mm. do they know that's true or not? So so I think it's, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think those, those larger corporates and procurement departments have to start looking at other measures rather than just you know, just your financials. But you're right, how long you've been in business. You know, if, if you've been in business 15 years, that's going to be a big difference to someone who's been in business five months, you yeah, know. So so there's other measures. You need to have other measures in place. But, you know, but talk about procurement. It, look, that's one of the bugbears, I think, again, for the smaller agencies is really navigating procurement because it can be another world if you haven't worked through procurement before. And that's where I think the big, um, bigger agencies have a bit of an edge because they're used to probably dealing with procurement. Now, I've said this on a number of occasions, and it was interesting on LinkedIn, a uh, procurement uh, professional from, uh, of all places, the Middle East, mm. challenged me <laughs> and said, in actual fact, 
there's mm. a big trend in procurement now mm. for diversity of supplies. Mm, interesting. And I think that perhaps, you know, if this is true, if this mm. is actually a definite direction that procurement are looking at, that they're not wanting to have all of their supply chain bundled into a very narrow perspective, mm. that, that this is a benefit for um, independent agencies mm -hmm. because what they can prove is that the diversification of that supply chain actually gives stability mm. rather than putting all the eggs in one basket. Well, that's true. Well, it depends on what do they mean by diversity. How much are they saying geographic diversity? Is it like all, all sorts. First gender, uh, first gender diversity? I mean... All, all types, all, all, all types. types of, yeah. He was saying things like uh, geographic diversity, mm -hmm. you know, that the, um, the, the pandemic has made them realise that, you know, you can't rely on international mm -hmm. uh, flights or, or, you know, supply chains like mm -hmm. that. Um, the size, yep. you know, putting all of your supply with a big supply because everyone's vulnerable. You know, mm. we're, we're facing tough times ahead because of this. Mm. You know, even the biggest clients are going to be vulnerable. Yes. Um, well, I think that, that makes a point. I mean, having geographic diversity, I think, is really important. I think that's that's important. But also nowadays, the other point is, don't forget, it's the world is so flat. You know, really, you know, they said years ago, you know, Thomas Friedman came out with this saying the earth is flat um, in terms of, you know, finance and economics. But even more so now, I think the fact that most of us, as we talked about earlier, Darren, is Zoom. You know, everyone's on yeah. Zoom now. So you can actually find, you know, an agency that may not be in your city to work with. You know, via Zoom, you can still still um, review them and, and speak to them and work with them. And I know, you look, even for, um, you know, some of our clients, I mean, they've, they have clients in, you know, another country. In fact, one of our clients just recently, which is amazing, from Melbourne during this lockdown, she's actually managed to secure two new clients. One of them is based in Canada. Yeah. So, you know, so that's what I'm saying. So I think you can do geographic diversity even just from Australia. And, and Australia was very parochial in a way because mm. we would often get uh, clients saying, well, we need an agency in Brisbane or we need an agency mm. in Perth. Or, and that's completely gone out the window now. So mm. just but it's good. I think yeah, that's reinforcing a positive, that it? point mm. that it's opened up the world. Mm. So it's opened up the world for Australia to source mm -hmm. outside of Australia. But yes. I think it's also opened up you know, the fact that the best people will find you if mm. you represent something that they want. Yes. Hundred percent. I percent. So let's get to the um, the agency accelerators. What what was the motivation? Was it just seeing how agencies were struggling with uh, with getting new business? I think it was. I mean, I think one of the reasons is that, um, you know, Peter has been running, who's my partner in the business, he's been running his own agency for 20 years now, um, Tick Yes, and I've been running Interactive Investor for 15 years, as I mentioned too, and both of us, we both started our agencies separately without knowing each other. Um, we both targeted corporate clients even though we were small, you know, small smaller agencies. And I think that was it showed us that we, we were able to win corporate clients even though we were small agencies. So then over the years, obviously... So proof of concept. It's proof of concept. <laughs> exactly, Darren. It's proof of concept. So we realised that if, you know, someone like myself, I mean, I know when I started my agency, to be honest with you, I was in the middle of a divorce and I had a seven-year-old son. So, you know, so so that was how I started my, my agency. You like uh, a challenge, don't I, that you? That was definitely a challenge, Darren. <laughs> Emotional, <yes>. financial... <laughs> 
everything. Absolutely, absolutely. So I really had everything, you know, you would think against me, but I was but I, the trouble with me was I had no plan B. It was that was it. Plan A was I start my agency, it had to work and and you know And you made it work. And I made it work. That was yeah. it. So and I think that to me is the important thing with any agency owner. That's something we've learned, you know, working with our clients is a couple of reasons why we started. Number one, because certainly Peter and I, business development has always been our favourite thing. You know, to me, there's nothing more exciting than um, than winning a client. You know, whether it's you know, to me, that's that's the lifeblood of any business is is um, winning clients. So, and we realise that so many um, businesses and agencies are not doing it strategically, and we over the years have fallen into most of the potholes most agency owners fall into. So we sort of learn to navigate over, under, around or in between those potholes. And so therefore we, we love working with agencies for that reason and we love the fact that their success means we also work with, um, you know, agencies that are open to change. You know, that's one thing I find with the agencies that work with us. They get the results because they're willing to to actually put, put the program into place, a strategic business development program, and not wait for, you know, the opportunistic sales anymore, the opportunistic business development. And frankly, to be honest, we also love working with agency editors because we are one, so we get them. Yeah. We understand them and we, we enjoy the camaraderie with the agency owners. So when uh, agencies come to you and they're large, you know, big independent oh, so agents. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. actually have one of our agencies has 173 staff, yeah. so they're not so small. They're not, they're, yeah, they're not. <laughs> so, and that's why I made the point yes, earlier. Yes, that's yeah, right. In, indie doesn't mean small. No. Indie just means independent. It yes. means local management. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I was going to say, when they come to you, because my experience is that uh, very few agencies have an articulated new business strategy. They have a series of tactics, right? When they come to you, uh, the, those that embrace the opportunity, mm-hmm. what do you think it is that they see in what you're offering? And those that don't, do you think it's either laziness or stubbornness <laughs> that stops them wanting to try something new? Let me think. Let me think. It's a good question. Um, look, I don't think it's laziness or stubbornness because I must say, look, most agents, anyone who runs their own business is not lazy. So I, I think that's, you know, it's always, you've got to be very brave, I think, to oh, launch and run your own business. often very stubborn, though. Stubborn, yes. I must admit, you're right. Often they're very stubborn. That goes without saying. And the ones who come to us, let me think. I guess the key point is they are... Um, they know that they can't do it alone, that sometimes you need, you know, it's really you need a coach sometimes, like with anything in business. If you're in your own business or in your own head, it's very hard to step outside and see what what things could you do better. What is my USP for my agency? What are the best target audiences that I should, should go after? And if that's the audience I want, what's the best way to add value to that audience to get them to build a relationship with me? Because mm. business is all about relationships at the end of the day. That's it. So it's all about trying to um, take um, st- strategic steps to move that relationship along so that they eventually have enough trust in you to, to give you their business. That's it. It's a very simple formula, mm. really. And sometimes the simplest formula, though, can be the hardest thing to do if you're in the middle of it. So I think you know, I think one of the many things that our clients have said they love about working with us is Number one, just the strategic program. I think that's obviously key to have a strategic program in place, like you mentioned earlier, Darren, that a lot of agencies don't have that. Um, And secondly, it's um, accountability. 
So a lot of agency owners can be stubborn, as you said, but also they're not really accountable to anyone. If you're the agency owner and you decide not to make five business phone calls today, who's going to say something to you? No one. Your staff are not going to say anything. Yeah, exactly. So I think accountability, and, and that's even from okay. a well-credentialed agency, you know, two of, two of the very well-credentialed agencies that are clients of ours have actually, they, just to use their words, they said, you two gave us the kick up the bottom to do something we've been wanting to do for the last few years and haven't. Mm. So, I mean, to me, that's, you know, that's wonderful. I mean, that's the, even that can be sufficient to drive a more strategic approach to business development. Because I know, you know, we, we have embraced and we actively look for and want to, you know, uh, encourage independence. Mm. The, the problem is that the whole pitch process is not the best way of winning new business. Mm. No, it's, it's a roll of the dice, isn't it, really? Well, we, we try and make it not. Mm. And I keep saying to agencies, if you lose the pitch, especially mm. if, we, you know, we're managing mm. it, it doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means you weren't the right fit, mm. right? That that when you end up in that whole selection process, you're being compared to other agencies, and mm. you know, because basically what we try and do is we make it like try, for the marketer to try on mm. some different outfits to see yep. which one fits the best. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that they're bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and but I think the the other problem with pitching is that there has to be losers. Of course, well, you and look, that's the worst that part five, about it, isn't it? Four well, or we, five. We, we we get it down to three mm. at the end, but yeah, you know, it starts off at six to start with. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a really to rely on the opportunity of pitching for business alone is a really sad mm. approach. That you know, a much more strategic way is to you know, well, what 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 is it that they should be doing? Is it identifying relate um, targets and building relationships? Oh, definitely. Well, I think doing what we said is is I think I agree with you. Hundred percent. It's a dangerous um, agency if they're only relying on pitches because, as you said, even if you have three at the end of the day, you still only have thirty three percent chance of winning unless you have some insider information, you know, or inside you know, action into that pitch that you're doing, which can happen. You know, if you developed enough relationships, you might have an insider running on it. But still, I think you need to complement people. Look, pitches are an everyday reality for the bigger bigger agencies. I think corporates will still want pitches. Would you agree? I yeah. mean, they're still, it's not going and away. And they have to. And they have to because procurement. of saying that you can't just <laughs> give right. the business to someone that you like to Correct. work with. And it's like... But I want to work with them. No, you have to go through a pitch, which is terrible because on that basis you're artificially constructing comparison just to get what you want. You know, Mm. one of the things we're really aware of is making sure that the client doesn't have a preconceived idea because what we're inclined to do is then say, okay, Mm. procurement, if this is the outcome, let's do the process without actually doing the Mm. pitch. We can make sure that you're not you're not going to pay too much and <laughs> that you've right. got the re- You can do all that without yeah. going to market mm-hmm. in an open tender yep. or a closed tender. Oh, definitely. I think uh, definitely you can. And I think that's – and also it's a lot, often a waste of time for the corporate clients to go through a huge, long-winded mm. pitch. Um, and often – I and I think, look, I think this is – you know, you would know this better, better than I in that respect with pitching – is it's hard to compare apples to apples when you're pitching with creative agencies, you know, because you are pitching a creative team of individuals. I mean, for an agency, you know, their assets walk out the door every day. Mm. That's it. That's they, they have just their people. So I think to trying to 
minimize the creativity or, min- or how can I say, trying to uh, box in, you know, agencies into one package and then compare procurement to have to compare, you know, three um, apples to apples, I just think I don't know how they do it because it really is a very difficult scenario, I would think. Yeah, I say to people, that, and, and I've written about this, there's four Cs. Mm. The first is capability. You know, the, the agency has to have the capabilities, but mm-hmm. that's easy to prove. Have they done it for someone else? Yes, then you have the capability. The next one, and I think this is the most important, is chemistry, right? Because it's about working with people. The best work comes from uh, teams working together that are aligned in their mm. values and expectations. The third one, I call it uh, to be a C, I call it creativity. <laughs> but what I mean by that is having alignment to what you are wanting mm. as far as creative, innovative. You know, there mm. are clients that say, I want a creative agency, but they don't actually mean the best creative agency. They just mean someone that will do something that's a bit novel. Right. Rather mm-hmm. than outrageously. Yeah. So, and, and you have to get that alignment mm-hmm. right. And then the third one is the commercial arrangement. Yeah. You know, it's all got to be bundled up. Now, mm-hmm. the danger And the commercial is, one's probably the easiest one. The commercial one is not so hard probably, isn't it? Yeah, except that it, there's been so much focus on it, especially mm. in the last decade, since, yeah. since the global recession, on the money, mm. that agencies are starting to think that that gazumps the first three. Mm. It doesn't. It's actually part of the four Cs, yep. you know. And I think that that's why... Um, taking the approach that you guys are um, teaching, I guess, mm-hmm. or coaching, coaching yes. at the agency accelerator mm. is, is the right way because it's about building the relationship. It's getting the chemistry right, proving that you have Correct. the capabilities, Absolutely. sharing to work out do we have the right type of um, creativity or innovation? Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to irritate or are we going to be, you know, mm-hmm work well together yes. and then sort out the commercial arrangement yep. based on those three. Mm. So I think I think it's a terrific, mm. you know, it, it's certainly be prepared for pitching but it's much better to have a strategy mm. that will help you target the clients you want. Well, definitely, and I think that's one of the key things, again, that I think we, we help our clients to do is, like they say, in the absence of a strong brand, your clients will go to cost. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. But if you have a strong brand and you stand for something and that's in match with the clients that you're going after, then that's an irresistible offer. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to go to price then. You see what I'm saying? So I think that to me is also really critical is helping the, helping you as an agency to really define who who are you? Who, you know, what sort of clients do you want to work with? And, yes, you know, what are your capabilities? Because every agency we talk to and you have the same, they also they do everything. Yeah. You know, they always say, oh, we do we do the SEO. Nowadays, they're even saying that we do SEO and SEM. We do, you know, pay-per-click. We do um, advertise above the line. But, like, they do everything. Well, you know what? No one be good at everything. Mm. You know, it just doesn't work like that. And I think if you if you really say you're good at everything, I think even as a large, you know, large agency, you have silo departments that will be good at those different things. It doesn't mean they'll all work together to give you the, the right strategy all the time. Mm. So I think it's very important to um, fine-tune fine-tune what you're offering. Susan, we've run out of time. Uh, but if there's a um, an agency person, an independent agency mm-hmm. owner that has woken up, it's the new year, they're sitting there going, <laughs> 2021 is my year of growing the business, 
Um, what should they do? How do they get in contact with uh, with the Agency Accelerator? Well, just go to our website, which is www.theagencyaccelerators.com and, um, and basically call, call Peter and I. We're happy to have a strategy session with anyone that's interested and uh, see if we're a right fit for each other. And I'll put the link for that into the notes for this podcast. But, uh, Susan, thank you very much for thank popping you, by Darren. and having a conversation. One last uh, question before we go. I'm just wondering, um, is there any particular clients that you think agencies should stay away from? Mm-hmm.